think where they want to hide is in this appreciation for beauty. Like yeah. I almost get that that sense and when, when they're talking about attraction or orientation that there's a there's an appreciation they have for the male form or something if they're male right and that that doesn't have to lead into anything sexual but the problem with that in my mind is that um they they make the jump in like a thousand different ways in their movement from it's it, it, like like you gave the example of uh the heart skipping a beat or whatever i mean but they there's whole talks on queer culture and uh, and being married to someone who's in a heterosexual relationship, being married in that, but still yeah. identifying Covenant friendships. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's to me, I'm like, you're not Leonardo da Vinci appreciating the male form at that point. You're you're saying something a little more than that. You're signaling that it's not just an appreciation, but a you want to be with them. Yeah. And that's where see, that's where something I think can be right in heterosexual sense and wrong when, when it's something you, you said coveting is something God forbid. So I think of it that way where it it can be right if you're pursuing someone for the purpose of marriage to have it to a, appreciate them, but also have this sort of inclination towards, you know, one day um, if things go well, that you're going to there's going to be a fulfillment of that relationship. Right. And I mean, this is you can't really have a romantic relationship without that. There has to be some kind of I mean, what are you doing if you're dating and you're, you're not you don't want to pursue that somewhere down the line? You're, you're just you're wasting time. So I think there is this sort of foreshadowing or this this anticipation of something that is to come that God intended for good purposes in a rightly ordained relationship. And they want to take that, whatever that is. And I don't know if I can fully quantify that because love is, and and um, I mean, even Paul talks about that there's a mystery, <laughs> Christ in the church and right. the marriage relationship. And there's there's so much of a mystery there. It's We can put some words to it, but I, I find it difficult to get into the fully the weeds on that. But yeah, I, I think, but that's where they I, want, that's the, that's the box they want to bring out to say, I have the same thing. It's just towards inclined towards men and that's okay. And it's like, wait, no, <laughs> that's not okay. Right. And what you're getting at, I think is worth noting is the way that they see homosexual desire and heterosexual desires basically equivalent in the fact that they're both sinful, right? You know, that they're, you know, if you love Johnson it, says that, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Paul in in Romans one, you know, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to nature. Now, is homosexuality breaking God's law? It absolutely is. But the the reference that Paul makes in Romans one is to it being against nature, that it's it's unnatural. And so there is kind of a further degradation of of even how God made us. And that's why homosexuality is even used in Romans one as a recognition of just how far mankind can slide in its rejection of God to where even the women and the men exchange these natural relations. You know, you look all through the through the world, you know, and the the common theme is men and women together. And then they they have children and then they they procreate and, and make the, the human race and, uh, you know, procreate society. But even in, in the animal kingdom, you know, there's not you know, homosexuality, when people have, I mean, that's a whole separate discussion, but people have tried to claim that, um, you know, there's these homosexual 
tendencies within certain certain animals in the animal kingdom which is always the creatures are always under duress and it's never kind of this natural thing that is happening and in normal mm. <laughs> you know situations but um i don't know when we started taking our cues from the animal kingdom maybe we should eat zebras it's weird okay <laughs> but you know when you refuse to acknowledge the unnatural character of homosexuality and you just treat it as kind of it's just another sin like we all struggle with sin and so it's just this other thing and then you treat it as something that um that isn't unnatural and that isn't in itself sinful even by its desire you know because you can always relate it to the covetousness idea you know in a in a male female relationship when a when a man is pursuing a woman and he has desires for her and even sexual desires begin to emerge you know is that always sinful in itself i mean you know you'd have to you'd have to examine the heart in that situation and only the lord knows but well, him well, pursuing seem, that relationship yeah. is not unnatural though but there seems to be okay so like this might be a good example of it like um when a daughter even uh is dressed in a certain way and then and she asks her mom like is this okay for me to go out like this and sometimes mothers will so go ask her father you know mm-hmm. and, and you know i Oftentimes, mothers know enough that they can give advice there. But I, I've heard this before where they'll say, go ask your dad. And then that she's got to pass the test with dad. Why is that? It's not because the dad is sexually attracted to his own daughter, right? That's right. that's nonsense. It's because the dad is wired in a certain way to detect um, where he can he notices the female form in a different way than a female notices the female form, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that just seems to be in nature. God infused um that ability or that that detection mechanism in men um the same as in women women notice things men don't notice that tend they tend to i'm saying these are broad tendencies right and that is very um i think there's something mysterious about that to some extent but it's it, there is something beautiful about it i think that there's a way that even if you look at like older literature like if you look at victorian era novels or um, even uh, I'm thinking of like even American novels uh, from like the 1800s. I've noticed sometimes there is kind of like these social mores that exist whereby men can compliment women and treat them in a very different way than they would treat men. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, it's not viewed as sexual. It's right. it's viewed as respectful, as honorable. But there's something there. Even in dancing and sometimes even married men, you know, older married men can compliment younger women in certain ways. And it wasn't viewed as creepy, whereas today it probably would be because everything's sexualized. Right. And, and and that I it seems like that's constantly where um, where I see revoice type advocates going, where they want to just say that they have that same mechanism in them. Only it's for men <laughs> if they're male or if yeah. they're female, it's for women. We have this mechanism that notices beauty and and knows kind of if, if i were to allow my heart to go farther i there could be a potential temptation that might arise so it's, it's so humble it's so like pre-lust in their mind but it's clearly not because if it was that innocuous they wouldn't be having conferences about it it right. wouldn't be um they wouldn't be making the analogies like the one you just referenced and so there's a bait and switch, it seems to me, where they they want to claim something that's so um, I don't know, uh, just it, it's it's not regressive. It's so 
just non-threatening. But actually, that when you get into the weeds and what they're actually saying, it is lust. It is something that's threatening. It is. And even, you know, best case scenario, let's say they don't they don't do that bait and switch. They just say at the front end, we just kind of notice the male form or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's not in a scientific way. And there there is something there that there is something God wired men to just notice women more. I mean, isn't that why Job said that he even had to make a covenant with his eyes because he couldn't handle that not to behold right. the virgin, not even to look. And sometimes that is what I think you have to do. But it's like um, the goal should be to to reach that that God's design to to get to a place where um, if you're a male, where you are noticing women in in those not men in those ways, but your attraction or your inclination would be more towards women. So it's not yeah. a Freudian, like, you know, sexual uh, orientation concept. Right. It's just, it's cause that's not rooted in creation, but it's rooted in creation that there's a, a certain way that you view women, you interact with women and it doesn't have to be sexual. I have such a hard time articulating this, <laughs> which is why I'm using so many words to do it. But that's what I think you started to penetrate this a little bit in your book. You 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 started to get to that point of recognizing that the SSA revoice stuff is making this kind of bait and switch distinction. And more work, I think, just probably should be done on it in in other books or but but you're doing the pioneer work here, which is why I'm talking to you about it. I mean, so so what do you think about what I just articulated? However, Mm -hmm. <laughs> however i did it maybe in not so um of an articulate way but do you see what i'm trying to get at and, yeah for sure yeah um yeah and part of what you're getting at is something that actually has been articulated by guys like nate collins and gregory coles where you know gregory coles in his book uh single gay christian which was sadly endorsed by d.a carson um you know it, it's basically a memoir but he has this portion in it where he he pontificates, you know, and just kind of thinks out loud, so to speak, about like, well, what if God did make me as a eunuch, you know? And so that that category of eunuch kind of gets immediately co-opted by anybody who has uh, wants to be identified within the LGBT kind of spectrum as a biblical word that, you know, suddenly, you know, they can take and run with. But, you know, what if God did design me this way? You know, uh, he's just he's not saying that God did, you know, so he's still got plausible deniability, but he's just kind of thinking out loud and he doesn't really know how to think about it. You know, but maybe God did design him, you know, to to be single and to desire, you know, things in a certain way. And Nate Collins goes so far as to, you know, basically give a philosophical concept to this whole thing that he calls aesthetic orientation. And I talk about that some in the book, you know, basically what you're getting at this idea that God hardwired us for beauty and to, to enjoy certain aesthetics. And so in that way, you know, he's almost acknowledging that maybe God did make him gay, but just, you know, the fall is what took that initial, you know, aesthetic orientation that he had to recognize the beauty of maleness whatever that means in his mind. And the, then the fall comes in and then takes that and kind of co-ops it to where now it has the sexual bent to it, which is wrong. But, you know, in its purest form, it's just this appreciation of, of the male form and maleness and male beauty and, and, and whatever. And I, honestly, I think some of that was 
created by wishy-washy evangelical discussion of not necessarily of sexuality, but just of creation in general. You know, I, I just actually did a Sunday school class on the image of God um, at my church. And, you know, it's funny how, you know, there's a Paul David Tripp book where he he makes the claim that um, that the image of God isn't defined by scripture. It's described by scripture. You know, I'm just like, no, I mean, it's it's defined by the Bible you know, but like part so of what weird. he means by that is he wants to embrace this kind of, I, you know, anything that separates us from the animals basically. So becomes an aspect of the image of God. So whether it's creativity or relationships and community or, you know, all of these different things. And so, you know, when, when evangelicals can sometimes use really kind of just wishy-washy language that they think is it's really more sentimental, honestly, than it is anything else, you know, that, that we just have this, this desire for glory, or we just have this desire for relationship, or we just have this desire for community. And that's how God made us. And if that's all that you really say about it, and then you hold that up as somehow the image of God, then it makes arguments like the ones that Revoice is posing like a lot more plausible, because now you already have an unclear and uncertain definition of what that even means. And so it's real easy to take that very generic sentimental idea and feel like whatever you like in life is what makes you made in the image of God. And so then you can kind of take that and use it in these, in these other settings. I, yeah, I that's know. interesting. I, I might've so, gone off track so, there. So a little you bit like green, you like blue, you like yellow and, and it's, but the Bible says you can't like totally, live out completely your love for yellow. So we have to like put a stop sign there at a certain point, but you're still somehow wired to like yellow. So right. it, it puts into this aesthetic realm. That's interesting. Uh, so there's a lot of yeah. movement in that area, basically because honestly, just because people like art and pop culture and, you know, so they tend to speak poetically about these things rather than concretely and clearly. And so even with just the pithy, kind of, you know, Twitter statements and things like that, that almost feel like fortune cookie morality. <laughs> um, Tim Keller. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying not to use his name, but I'll say it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he does that thing. I mean, you, you were talking about the Trinity as an orgy. I mean, Tim Keller talks about it as a divine dance, whatever that is. Like it, it's, it's very strange. Well, and, it, that's, yeah. that's where some of these lines get real blurry because like you can see how you could get on the on the worst possible end i mean keller would totally reject the idea of trinity as orgy obviously right right but when you talk about the trinity as a dance you're kind of opening up that door a little bit and the latch has been unlocked and you're kind of just wedging it open a little bit with this poetic notion so that then you know you can fill it with kind of whatever because it's not very clear yeah. you know so that's that's unfortunate that so many you know and i maybe guys have done this in a well-meaning way, you know, where they're just trying to, and, and, but some of it is just like filler. They're just trying to like fill up, you know, the, the Twitter feed or keep new books coming. And so they, right. they throw out ideas that are really half cooked and really have no business belonging to the general public. Yeah. I mean, to speak concretely would just to say, I think be to say that God has, uh, creation norms that he's established and that people fall into these and if there's and we are sinners so if you don't fall into it 
in, in a perfect way so that you're completely, your desires are completely aligned up with his design for you, uh, then you, the Christian wants to make sure those things are aligned. And so that's where spiritual disciplines come in and accountability and prayer and just all the tools that God's given us. And, and that seems to be the common sense concept that we've had for thousands of years. <laughs> Yeah, and, can I illustrate this point? Yeah, um, please do, please do. Real quickly. So there's there was a uh, a, a tweet that a guy named David Bennett, um, you know, he's a side B proponent in the in the UK. Uh, so he's he's not American, but he's he's been involved some with Living Out, which is Sam Alberry's thing over in the UK. And all all the side B revoice guys kind of retweet him and like him. But he had this this statement, um, you know, this was from uh, September 14th. So just a few days ago, he said, I find the language we use in pop theology to refer to singleness slash celibacy really frustrating. It lacks clarity. He says, no one is really ever single or celibate. We are beings who are socially slash relationally constituted and all need the love of God and others in covenant faithfulness. Hmm. So no one is really ever single and no one is ever really celibate. Uh, you know, somebody directly asked him, no one is ever really celibate. Can you flesh that out a bit for me? He said, celibacy seems to infer absolute desirelessness and does not involve ever falling in love or in lust. That is never true. We all have a mixture of desires, sinful and good. We must resist and accept into the greater faithfulness of our love for Christ. It's a really weird thing to say at the end, but, you know, but basically like even, so here's a guy who identifies as both single and celibate and says that the language that we use in pop in, in pop theology is really not very clear you know the language that you've been using <laughs> single and celibate which is just a description you know of the fact that you are not married and the fact that um in that lack of marriage that you are trying to remain chaste sexually right. and that you've committed to to abstinence from uh, from sexual behavior so like, how is that unclear language, though? You know, and so, like, even just that little subtle push of, like, actually, even this language over here is not good because, you know, we are beings who are socially and relationally constituted. So there again, this idea just keeps bubbling up of, like, well, fundamentally, we're relational beings and we're constituted in a certain way. And so really, even when we sin, it's almost just like the fall... <laughs> It's not even um, it really removes culpability even from sin in a lot of ways where, you know, you fall into a situation and it's like, well, you know, I was well, honestly, I was just relationally and, and uh, you know, socially constituted. And so I can see how I would have misproperly understood this in light of the fact that I'm clouded over by by the fall and I'll try and not do that you know, or something it, rather than just recognizing, no, like temptation came to me. I fell prey to, to the attack of the enemy. I committed sin. I need to repent and I want to walk in newness of life. And I want to mortify, you know, that deed by the flesh, according to the flesh and not, not walk in that way anymore. And I want, I want the Holy spirit's power at work within me to overcome mm -hmm. those temptations and desires when they come to me. So that I'm not prey to it in the same way anymore. Um, yeah. 
you know, but they don't talk like that. It's always this little accommodation. It's always just bring it in a little bit and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of figure it out. And like God's grace kind of covers over everything anyway. So we'll just kind of all, all arrive fine in the end because, because Jesus paid it all, you know? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a concrete example. I was just thinking of that's really good. Um, I was thinking like, have you ever heard a revoice advocate or a side B proponent address something like, I don't know, um, like romance novels or, or just, just a, a, a novel that happens to have a romance in it or a movie like, you know, pride and prejudice, or I don't know, some, something like that. And kind of give the advice of, okay, if you're, let's say a male watching this movie and you're constantly kind of, you're putting yourself in whatever this romance story is in the seat of the, um, of the woman, let's say in the movie. And you're just, you're kind of taken with or admiring, uh, the, the male character, um, in in a way that a female normally would when she reads a, a novel like that or something which and I, and I realize i'm getting into a dicey area because romance novels themselves are fraught with danger <laughs> right. but i'm i'm you know, a, a story that includes a romance in it i'm trying to think of something that's not uh n- not lusty or or you know over the top uh right you know bad kind of uh trying to play on lusts or, or whatever but if you if you just see yourself it naturally in your head at least it feels natural to slide into the position of the character who's a female and to look at the male character in a romantic type of way would a side b proponent say well you need to stop reading those novels right or like we need to address this this is a, this is a problem here's one of the tricky ways that the devil can use to get you to not be in accord with god's will so you need to reject that I've never heard that kind of thing, but you would think those would be the kinds of examples and and things that if they're trying to restore someone from uh, a sinful and they often use the term broken longings that they would be diving into that and trying to give practical advice on that. But I don't see that kind of thing. Instead, it seems like it would be like, well, that's just the way you're wired. And they're like, I guess, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Enjoy. Just don't yeah. act on it. Like. That, that would be the difference in my head. Discipleship would say, stop watching that. Stop reading that. It's not helping you. It's reinforcing right. something that's not good in you. Yeah, well, they, they would say, well, that's kind of legalistic for you to say that. Okay. You know, the legalism language go. immediately <laughs> comes up. I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I was initially when I started researching Revoice, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, I knew that there were people that I trusted who were who were speaking out against it. So in some ways I was somewhat predisposed against it, but I mean, I, I'm able to to think objectively and critically about these things. So like, I wanted to, to know, is this a legitimate, helpful ministry or is this what, it, what is going on there? And that was the kind of thing I was looking for. Like, where's right. the warning? Where's the like, you know, guys, if you're, if you're in this, if you're feeling this way and like, they're saying that they're constituted this way, you know, kind of innately. So there's no way to escape from it. So then like, why are you putting people, why are you not warning people against the dangers of certain situations and places, but rather you're embracing aspects of the culture and, you know, to use the example you used earlier, the guy going to the, to the, to the gay nightclubs, to dance, you know, um, like 
you should be warned against that. If that, I mean, cause that's, that's obviously not healthy for you to go there. I, I don't know that it's healthy for anyone to go there, but like, how could you go there with the idea of exuberantly participating in this yet? You've got certain little boundaries that you're not going to cross. And, and how do you think those lines aren't going to get blurred immediately once temptation emerges, you know, it's like there, there's no warning. There's no recognition of danger or threat. There's no, there's no um, sense that these things are actually destructive to your soul and to embrace, to continue to feed into that sense of sexual identity as a, as a homosexual or bisexual, that, that that's good to keep feeding that. That's good to sit there with the, you know, with the, the romance movie or novel and to, and that's actually a safer form of it than than going out and pursuing relationships, maybe, you know, how, how some people could perceive that. But you shouldn't, no one should bar you from that because to do so would be legalistic and would be setting up an artificial boundary. You should let the people who have that experience determine what their boundaries are. You shouldn't try and impose some kind of outside wisdom into the situation because to do so, you know, is to speak against um, their ultimate identity. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's so. Would it be fair t- to say this is an? It's not an off ramp from homosexuality. Uh, it's it's more of a it, either an on ramp to more homosexuality, or it's a um, it's 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 like a highway. There's there is no off ramp or on ramp. Once you're on, you're on. Yeah. So well, that's Christians why should have I, an off ramp. That's exactly why I include it in this book. Is it's not just. Like it is an attempt to reconcile homosexuality in the Christian faith. It doesn't do it in exactly the same way the affirming church does or the way that queer theology and its blasphemous attempts does. But it is, an, it is a way to say like homosexuality, which they even don't typically like that term because they feel like Christians use that, um, you know, too negatively, you know, but basically it's a, it's a big idea that talks about desires, behavior, community language, you know, culture, uh, all of those things are included within that overall idea of homosexuality. And there is an attempt to reconcile aspects of culture and LGBT culture with, with the Christian faith and to say that, well, these are just reflect, everyone's an image bearer and, you know, culture is basically neutral and you can just go and you can see the way the image bearers are trying to to creatively find a place for them or explain their situation or all these kinds of things. That's yeah. But it's an attempt to reconcile the Christian faith and homosexuality. And, and, and further down the line, it is removing the Christian witness on this and diminishing it by saying that there are certain aspects of how we've spoken about homosexuality that are wrong. Yeah. You know, like, are you saying that, you know, Paul is a spiritual abuser, for example, when he when he calls it a, a dishonorable passion or when he says that homosexuals and effeminate will not uh, inherit the kingdom of God. You Good know, but, but we shouldn't use that language ourselves. You know, we know the Bible uses it, you know, and there's some contextual things there, but we're not going to use it because that's actually going to send these people away. They've already heard that. They don't need to hear that. They need to hear that they're accepted and that they're loved and that you're here to empathize with them and be sympathetic toward their experience. And um, so, I mean, to your point, like there have been people who have left, who started in the side B world 
but you know really side b is legalism though <laughs> like it's just setting up these little yeah. parameters but it, it's individualized legalism like an individual kind of sets up in their head okay i can't do this or that or this or that you know but i'm not trusting that the lord you know is holding me and that the lord is is conforming me to to christ likeness as i pursue him i just want to take in enough of this that i can feel like i participate in it because there is this idea this desire to participate in the broader lgbt culture even though there's kind of there's still some some distance from it so i want to participate in it but not as fully as i would if i if i were were married to to a, you know someone of the same sex or if i was participating in in all of these these various uh, you know activist things but you know, so. Can I ask you where is uh I, I want to throw out a name two two names really and and you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable uh, answering these but there's two kind of um I would say gospel coalition kind of approved rising stars in how in helping the church navigate homosexuality one is Sam Albury and I guess he's been around for a while one is yeah. Christopher Yuhans where do these guys stand in your mind as far as I mean, are they with the kind of the revoice crowd or are they something else? Um, should Christians be cautious of their ministries? Because I, I haven't seen them really take on what you've been willing to take on in book form at all, which is, in my mind, at, at the very least, a yellow flag. So where do you see these guys? Well, I can speak. I'll I'll, I'll just say initially, like Christopher Yuan has reached out to me personally and has been very appreciative of the things that I've written with a little leaven and with dangerous affirmation. So, oh, um, so I was, I don't know him very well and I haven't been following his, his public speakings on this very closely, but I, I was certainly encouraged by that, you know, and I've, I've had conversations with, with Rosaria Butterfield and she's a close, uh, a friend of, of Christopher's as well. So I would, so I'm in, I'm encouraged by that. And so you know, I can't speak to, you know, things that he said on the topic at this point, but I can say that he's he's certainly aware of the danger, sees the issues of the side B movement um, and is is concerned that so many Christians are embracing it. Um, so I can speak to that as in regards to Sam Alberry. Uh, Alberry has been a frustrating one to follow because there's things that he says that seem good. And then there's things that he says that um, are really troubling. And then there's a lot of things that he says that are just real wishy-washy and murky and you can't really make heads or tails of it. Um, so I've, I caution people generally away from Sam Alberry because I just don't think he's very clear. You know, like even his book is God anti-gay, um, you know, which is, in one sense is trying to build up the 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 biblically orthodox position about what it teaches regarding homosexual behavior but he doesn't want to deal really much with the desire and he still seems to accommodate it to some degree um and the, even that statement is god anti-gay is immediately putting the conversation in a bad position in my opinion I mean, I know you could say, well, it's just a book title, you know, he's just trying to sell books. And it's like, yeah, but he doesn't even actually answer that question in the book. So it's a bad book title if you don't answer the question that's literally the title of your book. But, you know, there's just there's several little accommodations that he makes in that that I I found troubling. It's been a while since I've read it and I've read so many things since then. It's hard to recall exactly those points. But, you know, there have been things like he wrote a thing on the on the Gospel Coalition back in um 
I guess it was a couple of years ago now, or maybe last last year, about the rainbow. And, you know, he was trying to make this overly clever case for why, you know, the rainbow is a good symbol and why, like, when LGBT people hold up the, the rainbow, you know, they're expressing their longing for, for God and that reconciliation has happened through Christ. And, you know, and so in one sense, like it, it, but it was really, it was, just, <laughs> it was just so cumbersome and you're yeah, just like, yeah. how is this helpful to anybody? You know, um, I'm sure you've read some things that he's, he's put out, but part of it is, you know, the background of experience uh, of, of guys like that are, because if you have that experience, now you are able to speak into the situation, whereas right. someone who doesn't have that experience can't speak into it. And so it's kind of, it's still that appeal to, uh, to standpoint epistemology, even in, in subtle ways. Um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, Sam Albury is very murky in my mind and I don't, I don't trust him, even though I know that he says some good things and that in some ways, you know, it's hard to sometimes tell the difference between him and, and, you know, some good authors like Kevin DeYoung or, or some, when, when approaching some topics, but um, I don't yeah, know. And that's not helpful. That's, I mean, I think of um, even Paul, when he confronted Peter for being unclear about the gospel, it wasn't that Peter was such a raging heretic, but it's like, what you're doing is you're giving cover to these other people who are. And mm -hmm. I just, um, I, I agree with you. And, and I'm not asking to get you to be an attack dog against those guys at all. I, I genuinely, right. I mean, Christopher Yuhan, I'm not familiar with, I know he's advocated things like, um, or, or he said things in the past, like we idolize, uh, actually I have a quote in front of me um, where he says that, have we the church inadvertently played into the lie that our idolatry of marriage uh, while being pejorative and silent towards singleness, if singleness is unfair, then it is no wonder that marriage has become a right, just as the LGBT community appealed to the rest of the world for dignity and respect. It is time for the church to fight for the dignity and respect of single men, women and men. And you read something like that, and I'm like, well, that's not a revoice thing necessarily. That's just like it, it's a very common refrain. I hear it, it, um, if you actually do a search on Gospel Coalition, you'll see this a lot, where they talk about the idolatry of family constantly, right? Um, or talking about how you know heterosexuality isn't the goal; holiness is the goal. Tim Keller says that too. Yeah, Jackie and, and Perry, mm -hmm. right? And and these are things that I think he said within the last like few years. But he, he, it's it's possible because I know there's others that were at one time starting to go down this uh the, i don't even want to call it gay affirming but this just um kind of revoice light path and then they kind of realized it because they're true christians and they thought wait a minute <laughs> mm -hmm. hold on i just like you said you thought that they were doing a good thing possibly or you were open to it and then you realize wait they're not right and 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 that's the thing that i think is tricky right now is there are guys out there I don't know if Sam Albury's in that. I, I tend to doubt it because he's been a, yeah, for a while speaking on this. But you you have people who are kind of the go-to people for homosexuality. Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe that is the standpoint epistemology thing where it's like, well, who's going to answer the homosexuals for us? The challenge from the LGBT lobby. Well, I guess we got to find a homosexual, right? Or a, right. a former homosexual to speak on behalf of the church or to help the church navigate this because they're they're the qualified ones. And it's like, you know, we have the word of God. It's it's um, I'm, I'm not I don't want to discount that there's nothing to I mean, th there is a certain weight, I suppose, that um, 
someone hearing that who is in that lifestyle might they might be more apt to listen perhaps i guess if it's someone who can say i was once in your condition and now i'm not just like an alcoholic will listen to someone who was once an alcoholic sometimes but uh but it doesn't give them an extra edge or authority just because they had on that topic just because they had an experience right and that's one of the things i think i'm concerned about to some extent is we i i want i want to see us change the metric we use for platforming people to address this. Your book is, I think, the best thing I've seen so far on this. And you're not coming at it as someone who's like, well, you know, I'm still struggling with same-sex attraction. I used to be homosexual. You're not saying any of that. You're just saying, this is what the word of God says. Right. And this is what these people are saying. And that, and I love that approach. And so um, anyway, I, I just figured I'd insert my own, this is my own bias. So you, you don't have to own any of what I said, but uh, I mean, are there other guys that you would say they're not in the revoice orbit, you know, but guys that you would say be cautious about or um, other than maybe Sam Albury. I know you talk about uh, living out a little bit and, and the living out audit in the book. I mean, there are other things like that just in, in the landscape to be aware of. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many ways that um, I'd say, <laughs> You know, part of the 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 conflict here, I guess, is that there's uh there's so many things that are in flux right now, you know, too. You know, like you're you're pointing out, you know, that the revoice movement and the the emergence of the revoice conference really did shed some light on something that had been a it, it had been underneath the surface for quite some time. Like th these all of these ideas didn't just emerge in 2018 in July with that conference. Like there were things that go back to, to 2010. Uh, I would really caution against Mark Yarhouse, which is he's kind of a foundational voice in all of this uh, going back and just really be careful with a lot of the Christian psychology stuff that's out there and the embracing of, you know, Enneagram studies and all of these, this kind of, you know, that is just, it's internalized. It's looking inward. It's saying like, how am I constituted? And isn't that interesting about me and how I can connect with this person over here? Who's a this or a that? And, you know, just, I think we really have to be careful with, you know, with the way that we just take stuff in because there's such a tendency right now to just indiscriminately without really much discernment or thought to just take in ideas if they're stamped with, you know, an evangelical stamp on it. And that's, that's been the danger of the things like the gospel coalition where, you know, you could read good articles on there and, and, you know, good guys connected with it. I, I mean, I like Kevin DeYoung a lot and I think he's got a lot of good things to contribute but then there are guys that emerge on there and and statements that are made and they're not always necessarily just like leaders in the movement but you know an article comes out and it's making this push and just kind of it's almost like you're thinking off the fly and is it just cuz you got to fill up so many articles a week or are you actually advocating for a new position um so i, I mean i don't know if that directly answers what you're asking i mean i i think I think there's just a lot of stuff to be cautious of, you know, Greg Johnson and his book, uh, still time to care. There's a lot of people who are latching hold of that book and endorsing that book. Um, I mean, Tim Keller endorsed that book basically on Twitter 
And um, I think there's a lot of ways that he's been very sympathetic to the side B movement um, where he's endorsed Sam Albury um, very clearly. And, um, you know, there's, there, there's so many, I think part of it, people want to find like the, the homosexual voice on this issue, like you were saying, and immediately put them on a pedestal. Um, when, that person may not even be that clear on this subject. Um, you know, they may have a clear way of articulating what the Bible teaches about homosexual behavior, but the the advantage of having somebody who lived their life as a homosexual at some point or dealt with that is that they are they are attuned to some of the temptations and things that right. the average person may not be attuned to. And so like, that's the advantage there is that the ministry opportunity is, is in the, 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 the fact that they can warn against certain things that other people aren't seeing, but instead so often, you know, a guy like Sam Albury is now making pot shots about the way that the church treats, you know, the LGBT community as this, as two competing, you know, parts of society. And so then it becomes about how we how we respond to, you know, politics and stuff like that. Um, anyway, it's just, it's real. Yeah. I mean, I just did a thing on him, uh, just a, a panel he did for, with the gospel coalition a few weeks ago, where he basically says that there's this aggression against transgenders out there and the church just has to be so careful not to slip into that. And you're, you're thinking like, what is he talking about? I mean, everywhere I look, I'm just seeing transgenderism crammed down my throat. So, I mean, is it yeah. like, I guess Fox News Channel, where they're saying, "Hey, like some people, because some contributors are saying live transgender library hours, uh, terrible." You know, yeah. I, it's but it is. <laughs> so it, it's that kind of thing that I, I yeah. see as moving. The I would also a... really caution against Preston Sprinkle. Um, yes. That may not. Yes. That may may not be a name a lot of people are familiar with, but he he really wants to see himself, I, I think, as the, the guru and the main speaker on sexuality issues. And he just wants to bring people together for a conversation. And, um, you know, as these things typically start, it starts with those kinds of like, well, you know, we, we can learn from each other and let's, let's hash these things out and let's have a dialogue with, let's not have a debate. And, um, it's like the emergent you know, church. Let's just have a discussion. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. You want to talk about the emergent church, man? I, I mean, there's there's so many there's so many ways that a lot of the evangelicalism and the issues within the evangelicalism that we're experiencing right now were, you know, initially kind of put in the oven there in the early in the early two thousands, late nineties, with guys like Doug Paget and uh, and Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and yeah, um, all of that stuff. And I mean, it, it comes out in the the attack on Christian nationalism and that whole idea, the LGBT issue, um, feminism, um, race, and critical race theory. I mean, all of kind of the the they were the, just a little too early. They should have waited like fifteen or twenty years, and they would have been at the height of you know the platforming. Um, yeah. So they were kind of pioneers there, I guess. But, in a you sense. know, they began with a very experiential approach to church and Christianity, too. You know, right. like it, it's easy to see the the ideological issues that were there. But it began with like, well, we just, you know, like Doug Paget's church, you know, the front porch in Minneapolis was basically like, we're just going to have couches. I'm not going to give a sermon. We're, we're just going to kind of talk and have a dialogue <laughs> right. and a conversation. I mean, you know. <laughs> 
that yeah. that's yeah. what is not just aesthetically but like spiritually that's that is undergirding so much of of this appeal you know it's kind of appealing to the younger people feeling like we have to basically not be ostracized well, and there's so kind of to... a uh, uh uh i don't i guess a sense they're trying to give an impression that there's no hierarchy here that we're yeah. all equal and that nothing you can say is going to get you in trouble or dismissed um there won't be any standard brought to bear on what you're saying so so that's the openness um of course until a conservative walks in the room and then of course <laughs> things change yeah. but it's but, a rejection of authority ultimately because yeah. you don't want the authority of God's word and you don't want any kind of authority over you within a church context to say that you should you shouldn't do certain things or that you should you know exhort people in certain ways and you know so yeah. there's a rejection of authority that's ultimately underneath a lot of this stuff yeah well um i i think you've given us some good thoughts uh, things to chew on and i mean your books uh we have the link in the info section if people want to go check out dangerous affirmation uh this is a great i think primer to start to understand what's happening in christianity and evangelicalism in particular how is this stuff being pushed who's pushing it um why is it wrong and i mean i think it's fair to say at the end of the day that um the truth of, of the the bible gives us on sexuality is actually pretty simple <laughs> he made yeah. some people men he made some people women that's the the great divide in the human race is there's men and women and that he's wired them in certain ways and so they're um inclinations their attractions their uh, responsibilities are to be towards uh, one another and not towards those of the same uh, sex and that's the really the assumption behind the new testament and the old testament uh, and so um we want to we want to we, we hedge against this movement that seeks to normalize homosexuality through all kinds of ways uh, and and you've heard some of those in this podcast. So I, I want to just uh, say, I appreciate what you're doing, MD. Thank you. Um, anything else you want to say or place you want to send people to go check out your work? Yeah, well, the, the book is available exclusively at dangerousaffirmation.net. So if you go to that website, that's the only place you can find it. You can't find it on Amazon unless somebody found a copy of the book and they're selling it, you know, on their own there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's available exclusively at dangerousaffirmation.net. I think one thing that I'll just say at the end, is, um, you know, like, you know, there were so many times during the writing of this that I didn't feel qualified. You know, you just feel like you're like, who, who am I to say anything? But, you know, when it came like to your point, you know, we always go back to the scripture and, you know, I felt confident when I spoke where the scripture spoke and I felt confident when I read a passage of scripture and I tried to understand it and I tried to communicate that and bring that to bear on a situation. So um, there's a lot of scripture in this book and there's a lot of, you know, in the way that I, I tried to create it is so that it would be helpful for people who have different questions. I mean, it is a book that you can read through front to back. It's not maybe, you know, for some people, they might find it a challenging read just because of some of the concepts may be very new to them, but there is an extensive uh, subject index in the back where if you have a specific question about a topic or an idea or a person, you know, you want to see if I reference them, you know, it's, I tried to make it as user-friendly for somebody who, who has questions and is trying to understand these things so that they could, they could come back to it and find 
find what they needed in the book. And I tried to be as up to date as possible um, with with the references and um, and with the the content that's there. So anyway, that's my my short pitch, I guess, for the awesome. book. Now that two hours later, after we've talked about all <laughs> the stuff around it for a while, but. yeah, this will be two podcasts. But I appreciate it. Uh, that's very helpful. And God bless you and your ministry. And um, and AFA, you know, AFA American Family Association published this. So uh, consider maybe partnering with AFA if you're looking for an organization. I mean, there's so many people out there that have, are dropping support for organizations that have been compromised. So um, AFA is one of the places you could probably partner with because they're producing content like this, which is good and helpful. So anyway, well, God bless you, MD. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.